Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This is message number four of the series, Behold an Advent Celebration, with speaker Pastor Joe Brownlee, entitled The Angel's Song, from Luke 2, 18 to 14. You can find the sermon outline for this message at enewlife.com. last three weeks, we've been talking about beholding, taking time to stop and stare, to, to gaze upon truth, and beauty, and majesty. Along those lines, have you ever had a chance to go someplace and see something, and, and even though you thought you were prepared for it, the reality was more than what you expected? I hear people say that kind of thing when they go someplace like Yosemite or the Grand Canyon, someplace like that. You read about a place, you see a picture, maybe see it on TV, but it's just no comparison to the reality. Gene and I traveled to Hawaii a few years back, and we studied up before our trip so we could make the most of our time there. You only have a little bit of time, so we, we looked at a lot of pictures. Uh, take a look at this one we took from the Pali Mountains on the east side of Oahu. It's quite a scene. And as we traveled around, we just found ourselves stunned by the beauty of that place. Uh, we found ourselves overwhelmed by the, the sharp mountains, the, the blue ocean, the volcanic rock formations, the incredible views. The grand scope of it is more than what any description or picture or video can convey. This morning, we're going to see something about worship that's based on firsthand knowledge rather than a picture or description. Throughout the Advent season, we've been looking at some songs that are recorded in, in the Bible that have to do with Christmas. We've looked at how the young girl Mary, the, the old priest Zechariah, the brash John the Baptist, all responded to the coming of Jesus Christ. And they reacted with worship. We've been seeing how each of these folks exemplified what Jesus said about worship in John chapter 4. In verse 23, he said, but the, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We've been talking how, about how worship is a response from our spirit, the core of our being, to the truth of who God is and what he's up to. We've seen how beholding God, gazing on who he is, should lead us to that kind of response. Now today we're going to look at a familiar passage and see yet another worship response, once again expressed through a song. So if you haven't done so already, you can take that study guide out of your worship folder, you can open up your Bible or tap over on your app to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. Luke 2 and verse 8, it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Now, before we get into the song itself, let's, let's set the scene so we can truly understand the angel song. We start with some shepherds out in a field at night tending their sheep. Shepherds were considered low class in that culture. And it, was, it was a job that wasn't held in high regard. So isn't it interesting that God announces this very important news to the guys that everybody looked down on? As we've been seeing throughout Advent, God favors the lowly, the, the humble. A few weeks back, we talked about Isaiah 66, verse 2, where God says, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and tremble at my word. God chooses to deliver this news to the guys that nobody would expect because I think that God knew they would receive it with humble joy and excitement. Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Maybe it was Gabriel again, since he'd appeared to both Mary and Zechariah. And, and it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them. What does that mean? Well, throughout Scripture, the presence of God appears as a bright light or sometimes as a cloud or, or fire. I've given you several examples on your study guide you can look at, but let's just look at one of them. Revelation chapter 21 in, in, in verse 23. It says, And the city, talking about the new heaven, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, meaning Jesus. Then in verse 10, there's that word behold again. The angel's saying, hey, check this out. Don't miss what we're telling you. Stare deeply into the reality of what we're about to share with you. The angel says he brings good news of great joy. Now that, that phrase good news is the Greek word euangelizome. This is talking about the spoken form of the gospel. The angel isn't just bringing any news, but the good news. The best news in all of history. The news this angel is bringing is for all the people, and it's news of great joy. Joy has been a theme throughout all these Advent songs. Then the angel tells the shepherds about the arrival of a special child in verse 11. And he conveys three things about the significance of this child by using three titles that the child would hold. The first title is Savior. Many of the Jewish people that day were looking for someone to save them, some someone wanted a political leader that would free them from their Roman rulers. Some just wanted a leader who would deliver them from sickness or physical hardship, one that would make their lives easier. But this announcement's about the kind of leader that they really needed, a leader who would deliver them from sin and death, the kind of leader we still need today. The second title is Christ. Now, I imagine some of us here think that Christ is the last name of Jesus, like John Smith. But the word Christ is actually a title, not a name. Now, I suppose as a title, Christ probably doesn't mean much to us in 21st century America. We understand titles like chief executive officer, or supervisor, or vice president. But the Jewish people that day, Christ meant something they understood and held very dear. You see, Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word, Messiah. Remember two weeks ago, Pastor Steve talked about God's covenant with Abraham? Well, since Abraham's time, centuries before that, Israel had been looking forward to a proclaimed, promised Messiah, a, a leader, a king, a God's chosen one, the one that would finally deliver Israel, the one that would save them. 
And Jesus would do all that, but not in the way they expected. That's why when the, Jew, the Jewish people missed him when he finally arrived. The third title is Lord. Now the word Lord just means somebody who has authority, control, or power over others. A ruler. And I think this is the most incredible part of the announcement. This child is God himself. The king of the universe squeezed down into a human baby. The one that Philippians 2.10 says that every knee will ultimately bow to. I wonder if the shepherds really understood what the angel was telling them. I mean, honestly, do we, do we fully grasp the implications of that reality here today? So where are the shepherds going to find this noble child, this Messiah, this, this king of the universe? In a palace somewhere, right? Surrounded by servants and attendants. In luxury, having every possible thing anybody could want handed to him. Born into all the privileges of royalty, right? Nope. In verse 12, the angel tells the shepherds to go to a stable in a nondescript little town called Bethlehem. The royal baby will be using a manger for a crib, a box that animals eat out of. And the angel tells him this is a sign. Have you ever thought about that before? You know, this would be pretty hard to miss, right? I mean, I don't think this happens every day. The shepherds weren't saying, you know, we better be sure this is the right baby. We might confuse him with some other infant king that's born in a barn that's laying in a feeding trough. The circumstances were bizarre enough that it would be un unmistakable who the child was. Then in verse 13, as if this announcement wasn't grand enough already, God takes it up a notch. The angel's joined by a few of his friends. How many? The word multitude just means a large number, probably thousands of angels. God didn't do anything second class, and he certainly went all out here. These shepherds got to see the biggest show ever. And when you grasp the implications of what the angel said, you'll see why such grand pageantry was needed to match the magnitude of the announcement. Okay, now we've made it to verse 14 in the actual song itself. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For such a short little lyric, there's a whole bunch that's being said here, so we can break this down into two parts and we'll look at each. First, the angels start by saying glory to God in the highest. What does that mean exactly? Well, the dictionary says that glory is very great praise, honor, or distinction bestowed by common consent. That makes sense. God's certainly worthy of great praise and honor. But can we make God more glorious by saying that he is? When the angels said Glory to God. Does God somehow need them to say that for him to be glorious? Well, of course not. God's God and he's glorious even if nobody admits it. He's proven it by his creation, the, the grandeur of the universe. He's shown it through his mercy and kindness and love. He demonstrated it through the very birth the angels were announcing. Now, I think it's easy for us to say that God's on some kind of ego trip. Like he's going, bow down to me, the great and powerful God. After all, human history is full of leaders like that, right? 
So we can think God's like that too. But when we truly understand who God is, when we understand all that he's done, when we, we get that he's indeed glorious, we're going to see something that's very easy to miss. Acknowledging the glory of God, he's actually what's best for us. It isn't just to somehow puff up God's self-worth. Seeing God for who he is and saying so, worshiping him in spirit and truth, it actually benefits us. Fills that God-shaped void in each of us. Oh, people try to, to fill it with money or power or relationships or hobbies or addictions. But none of those things will do it. Only a relationship with the one true God does. We've talked about, through the series, about the fact that we're all worshipers. The only question is, are you going to worship all those other inadequate substitutes or God? Now, I want you to notice something that the angels have that the other worshipers that we've looked at so far do not have. Mary, Zechariah, John the Baptist, we saw how the praise poured out of their spirits as they recognized God's greatness. We saw how they reacted to the truth, the knowledge of who God is and all he's done. But the worshipers we studied so far were looking forward to a future hope. It was like hearing about Hawaii or looking at a picture like the one we saw earlier. We have an idea of it, but it doesn't quite do it justice. It's not like actually being there. But for the angels, God's glory is a present reality. They aren't hearing about it secondhand or reading about it or looking forward to it. They've seen it for themselves. When they say glory to God in the highest, they're talking about God's location, heaven. The angels get to see God's glory in person and on his home field, so to speak. We get a picture of that in Revelation 7, 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. I think even the most devoted followers of God don't always worship him like we should in part because we don't understand God for all his glory. Yeah, we've read about it in the Bible. We've, we've heard about it. We've maybe seen depictions of God's glory give us an idea about it. But it's not like seeing it for ourselves. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see only reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The angels don't see a weak reflection of God like we do in this life. They've seen God's glory for themselves firsthand, full on, direct, in person, in all of its mind-blowing splendor. And we say, see how they reacted to it. Joyful, lavish, unabashed, sold-out worship. Why? Because God's worthy of it. We need to react to God's glory like the angels do. Joyful, unrestrained worship in spirit and truth. So first the angels talk about God's glory in heaven, but secondly, they talk about the results of what their news means in our world. 
they say on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I'm sure some of you are thinking, Pastor Joe, peace on earth, really? You watch the news, what about France? What about about San Bernardino, the Middle East? The angels are just totally off base here. There's no peace on earth. Well, if you're talking about peace among men, between men, you'd be right. There isn't peace on earth. And it's been that way pretty much since men existed. Even though there was military peace in the time of those shepherds, the Jewish people wanted the Romans to go back to Italy and leave them alone. There's still conflict. A lack of peace in this world is nothing new. But that isn't what the angels are talking about. They're talking about peace between men. They're talking about peace between man and God. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before those angels appeared to these shepherds. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the titles Isaiah uses in referring to Jesus is Prince of Peace. Now he's certainly a prince, since he's the son of God himself, but he's a prince of peace. A peacemaker coming to establish a a peace between God and men that will last forever. And this peace the angels talk about, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It has a deeper meaning than our word does in English. It doesn't just mean an absence of conflict. It also has connotations of positive blessings. This peace will bring good to all those who experience it. Now let's just be sure for a second we understand what the angels aren't saying. They aren't saying that there's going to be peace throughout the earth. They aren't saying there will be peace between men. They aren't saying there will be peace between God and all men. The angels say this child will bring peace among those with whom God is pleased. While the news the angels brought was for all people, not everyone is going to experience this peace that the angels proclaim. So who is it that will know this peace? Who who is it that God is pleased with? You may not realize it, but all human beings by their nature are not at peace with God. Well, you might say, well, I don't have anything against God. There are lots of people that believe in God, respect God, maybe even praise God, but they aren't at peace with Him. Why not? Because God by His very nature is perfect. His character, His law, His actions, they're all perfect. God's never done anything wrong. When we say that God is holy, that's what that means. God's the very embodiment of good and right. God is holy. Now, we human beings, on the other hand, we do wrong things all the time. Oh, you may try to do what's right, to to be a good person, to live out kindness and love to others. But the problem is, since God is holy, he he can't tolerate sin. He, He can't be in the presence of that which is wrong. And since we've all failed to be holy in our own lives, it creates a a separation between us and God. Our sin creates a giant canyon that alienates us from God. And so, that could have been the end of it. 
Imperfect mankind forever separated from a holy God. But God loves each of us. He wanted a settlement with mankind. He wanted to bridge that chasm between himself and humanity. So he formulated a plan to send Jesus to earth as a human baby to bring peace between himself and people. Paul talks about this peace in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul says that we're justified by faith, and that gives us peace with God. Justified just means that we made peace between ourselves and God, that, that we've reconciled with him, that we've settled with him. That God can look at us, instead of seeing all of our baggage, our, our wrongdoing, our, our sin, he can look at each of us and instead see sinless perfection. Now, how does that happen? Well, it's not automatic. As we've seen, not, not everyone will have peace between themselves and God. When Paul says that we have access to this grace, that means we can get not what we deserve, punishment for our wrongs, but instead that we can have God's favor on us even though we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. And Paul says we have access to this grace. So I guess you have to ask, well, how do you get it then? Paul says that we're justified by faith. You can be one of those people with, with whom God is pleased when you in faith believe the good news that the angels brought on that night all those centuries ago. We call it the gospel. It just means good news. When you do that, you're going to receive this grace that, that Paul's talking about. You'll have peace with God. Now see, we've already talked about the bad news. The fact that we're imperfect, that we've broken God's law, and if we've done even one thing wrong, we don't have peace with God. The penalty that for that is separation from God forever, eternal death. But because of God's love for man, he formulated this plan to make peace, to, to allow reconciliation, to justify man. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus would come to earth as a human baby, and he would do what none of us could do, live a perfect human life. Why is that important? Well, because to have peace with the holy God, someone has to pay the price for our sins. Someone has to take the punishment for the things that we've done that have broken God's law, and it has to be someone perfect. God gave his son Jesus would be that sacrifice. And since he's the only person to ever live a perfect human life, he's the only one qualified to do it. He would die a cruel and undeserved death on a Roman cross to be the substitute for each of us. He would pay for our crimes. He did this so that we wouldn't perish, which is talking about spending eternity apart from God in a real, literal hell. Jesus died so that each of us can have peace with God, even though by our very nature, we're his enemies. And he didn't just die, he rose to life again, victorious over sin and death. He's alive right now in heaven with God the Father, something the angels see in person. That's why, like Mary, like 
Zechariah, like John the Baptist, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, just like Paul says. We can have faith that one day we're going to see God's glory for ourselves just as the angels do. We can someday join in that worship in the throne room of heaven. Instead of being separated from God forever, we can be with him in his presence, experiencing the glory of God in person. We can have the joy that only comes from being at peace with God. So how do you get that peace? Just what John tells us. Believe. You have to believe the gospel message the angels brought. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Saved from what? From what we deserve. Everlasting separation from God. See, that announcement wasn't just for some small group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It's for all the people. It's for every one of us here today. The ability to be at peace with God, it's a free gift. Believe in Jesus Christ, make him your Lord, and say so. There's only one appropriate way to respond to what God's done for each of us. Worship. Worship in spirit. Worship in truth. Worship with the unabashed joy that comes from having peace between you and the God of glory. Live in that peace by believing the gospel and making him your Lord. Let's bow our heads just for a quiet moment to respond to this good news of Jesus Christ. Just in this quiet moment, maybe you've never heard this news before. Or maybe you've heard it, but for whatever reason, what it means has finally clicked for you today. If that's you, if you're ready to believe the gospel and say so, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Looking around. Thank you, I see those hands. Thank you. Perhaps others of you already have peace with God that the angels talked about, but you felt God nudging you today about your worship. Maybe you haven't been responding to his glory at the level that he deserves. If your takeaway is you need a deeper respect for God's glory, that you need to worship him more in line with how worthy he is to be worshipped, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you as well? Wow, lots of hands. Thank you for your honesty, folks. Thank you. God, for both these groups this morning, I, I pray for them. God, for the folks that want their worship to be more in line with who you are, we probably all need a little bit of that, but God, I, I thank you for those folks that just realize that. And I know it brings joy to your heart for that this morning, God, that these folks just want to worship you. I, I pray that you break down the barriers that might be in their way. Help them to get past whatever those things are for them and see your glory more deeply. God, for the folks that are ready to believe the gospel this morning, I pray now you'd help them to not just believe, but to say so, to take a step this morning of cementing that before they get out of here. God, don't let them walk out of this room without knowing for sure that they have peace between you and them. God, I just can't help but just be overwhelmed a little bit just 
at the way you've met with us this morning. Continue to be in our presence as we, as we worship you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.